Welcome to the show. I'm Patrick, uh, CEO of Sonogenetics, and I'm very excited to be here with Dr. Giles Yeo. Giles is a researcher at the University of Cambridge, uh, studying the genetics underlying obesity and appetite control. Uh, and he's also the author of a best-selling book called Gene Eating, uh, which I thought was a very uh, refreshing and new take on the science of obesity and dieting. And some people have called it the anti-fad diet book. Um, so one, one uh, review that I read of it, which was quite nice, I thought was, in the age of misinformation and pseudoscience, the world is getting fatter and the diet makers are getting richer. So how do we break the cycle that's killing us all? I think that's a great... Uh, lead-in. So, Giles, welcome to the show and thanks so much for being here. No, thank you for having me. I think thanks for having me, Patrick. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. So, um, to start off, I know earlier in your career you worked on rare mm. genetic disorders mm. that cause people to actually literally be unable to control their appetite. Mm -hmm. um, so, I think an example of that would be Prader-Willi syndrome. That's right. right. Um, but now you work on both rare and common uh, genetics underlying obesity. So before we get into the science, I was hoping maybe you could just tell us how you got into studying obesity in the first place. Oh, I, I got into studying obesity entirely serendipitously by, by luck. So I did, I did do my PhD on the genetics of puffer fish. Now listen, that's <laughs> just, that is just not going to pay anyone's mortgage. So when, so when I was finished, I was a trained geneticist. I was looking around for a job. Um, the, the, some of the early genetic work on um, severe obesity had just been done within my department. And so I knocked on the door. I said, hi, I'm a geneticist. Um, and they needed a geneticist. And that right. was 1998. And, and that's how I was started. Entirely by, I needed a job and the lab was there. Right yeah. person, right time, right place. So could you explain to us how um, rare conditions like Prader-Willi syndrome, for example, work? What is it in the body that causes this... Um, un uncontrollable appetite. Now, Prader-Willi syndrome is more complex, right. so it's probably not a great example to necessarily kick off with, but Prader-Willi syndrome is thought to uh, lead to disruptions within the hypothalamus. Okay? But I think a better example probably is something um, to, to do with mutations within what we call the leptin melanocortin pathway, um, which also occurs in, in, yep. in, in, in the hypothalamus. And that pathway is, in effect, uh, a fat sensing pathway and it's critical because uh, your, well, your brain needs to know two pieces of information in order to control food intake it needs to know how much fat you have because how much fat you have is how long you would last in a while right. if you're starving or whatever exactly right. without yeah. any food and it also needs to know what you've just eaten which is which is signals from, from right. the gut the short term signals but if you actually don't have signals from your fat for example and your brain doesn't know how much fat you have then it doesn't know when you're starving. Or if you lack the signal, it thinks you're starving all the time. Right, so it's like a feedback. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and so what happens is there are these very rare conditions which in effect have the brain think that you're starving all the time, which means that, you know, look, when you're slightly hungry, uh, um, the, the, when you're very hungry, the, the simplest foods taste like the greatest things in the world, mm -hmm. the rice yeah, and the yeah. bread. And then the fuller you get, the more picky you become. Right. If you're actually starving, like like plane crash in the Andes, you, you, you know, type <laughs> yeah. of stuff, I want to eat you, someone else starving. Well, then you're going to eat all kinds of stuff right. in order to keep yourself alive, including, Whatever frozen, it takes. including right. frozen food. And so these kids do that and they end up being severely, severely obese. Right. And we kind of use genetics, both in humans um, and, in, and in animal models to kind of work out this, this, this pathway. And so that was the early part of my career was spent working, working this out together with my colleagues, not, not, just, not just me. Right. So, so mutations or inherited genetic variation in the, that acts primarily in the brain mm. that affects the way we actually understand sense. and sense yeah. our own body. That's right. right. That's so right. these 
the the rare mutations that happen in in these genetic conditions is it the same pathway that happens in the population more generally but just different um different genetic variants or different degrees of effect or is it something different no no as as it turns out this particular pathway this leptin melanoma causing because earlier on when i was working on this one of the criticisms that was thrown at me was was why are you working on these rare conditions? Right. And they're, they're rare. They're rare. Right? Yeah. Your, butter, your butterfly collecting, you know, it's, it has no relevance to, to, to regular normal human, uh, normal in inverted commas, disease. Yeah. As it turns out, with the onset of genome-wide association studies and whole genome analysis, that, so from a hypothesis-free scenario, this same pathway has emerged. Right. So in other words, while severe mutations within the leptin melanocortin pathway lead to severe Mendelian obesity, so, right. so, so you, you single gene um, the yeah. defects, very subtle changes in the pathway influences where we sit on a normal distribution of body weight. So yes, the same, I mean, it's not only this pathway because clearly there are several hundred genes that are now involved, but this pathway emerges as one of the... Um, um, uh, uh, powerful influences of body weight amongst so it's not just obesity we're talking about normal distribution of body weight right. whether you're skinny average or or fat or severely obese yeah so I've, I've heard you talk and, and I, I think you probably mentioned this in your book as well that mm. also different people have different uh, let's call it uh, vices or sweet tooth so I uh, I really like sugary foods, for example. But you, I think you've said before that you like, I like fatty uh, foods. you like fatty foods. In fact, in fact, that, so so, and that is going to have a genetic influence. I mean, another another right. example. I mean, we're here in this fantastic place here. Is I, I call the meeting room scenario. Right. And so if you if you if actually it's there. exactly if it's <laughs> there and suddenly you're in a meeting and someone puts a plate of cookies on mm. the table, I think there are four types of people that are there. Right. And you might disagree with me. There are going to be people who reach for the cookie immediately. Yeah. Okay, and, and just start eating it. There are going to be people who desperately want to eat the cookie, stare at it the entire time, not eat the cookie, but, <laughs> Think then, about ignore, it the whole but then ignore the yeah. meaning. Yeah. There are others who just don't even know the cookies are there, and there are others who eat the cookie without even knowing the cookie is there. Right, okay? right. And so, and so these are the people who don't think before they eat. And I think that is probably a good representation of human beings' reaction to food, and a lot of that's going to be down to our genetic influences. Yeah, and so you mentioned before there are hun- hundreds of genes. Yeah, yeah. Probably, a couple, probably many a more to be yeah, discovered, more, yeah. right? Mm. Is, it, is it yet possible to look at a single individual, uh, find which combination of genes they have genetic variants in and start to predict some of these uh, behaviors, whether it's appetite control or what their BMI is, or, or maybe even further, what whether they like sweet foods, fatty foods, or you know, how much do we know and how much is still yet to be discovered? So I think these um, genes so this, in this post-genomic world that we're, that, that we're actually living in undoubtedly are, particularly for something like BMI, okay, which is objective, and, um, and it is what it is. It's not subject to any imagination whatsoever right. or memory. It's, it's, it's there. It's very good to determine a risk of, of, of where you sit or the likelihood of where you might sit within a specific PMI um, on a population level. Personal prediction is still poor. Much harder, right? It's still yeah. much harder. And largely because um, of our inability... Well, uh, largely because of two, two reasons. First, we're only still measuring a small percentage of the genetic variation within us. That's the first thing. And second, our terrible ability to measure the environment. Okay, right. The, 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 those two things. 
which means that the moment you leave something like BMI or waist to hip ratio, which is another right. uh, easily measurable and, and it's a very objective measure, when you begin to go to the coffee table, the, the, the meeting room scenario, how do you measure that? And I think the measurement of the environmental phenotype, your behavior to the food, that is very, very difficult. Right. And until we are able to measure the environment with precision in a large scale, I guess, because I think we can yeah. measure environments Hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. How do you do that? We're not going to be able to nail down the genes. There are going to be genes about why some people, right. the, the, the cookie scenario, that there are going to be genes which, which influence our, our scenario. Right. Right? We just can't measure that behavior clean enough in a large enough number of people to find those genes yet. Right. So, I, yeah, to, to tie it to a specific example, I have a good friend who can eat, he can eat thousands of calories a day. Um, but he's, he stays skinny, he, you know, he stay, he's got a six pack um, and there's, you know, there's clearly something going on there where if he and I take in the same amount of calories, his body's processing it differently, but it's, that's incredibly tricky to, to measure and understand, is. is that right? It is. So, so what's interesting is all of the genome-wide association studies, all of the genetic studies to date, um, looking at BMI and, and, and food right. intake, have found genes which are only associated with food intake, interestingly. Okay, so, so this is... Right. But does that mean that nothing That's is explaining the, the expenditure? No, because, I mean, studies by Claude Bouchard, for example, using twins in which, in which uh, identical twins were fed groups, pairs of identical twins were fed exactly the same thing. Now, within the twin pair, okay, they gain exactly the same amount of weight. Right. Okay, but intra-twin pairs... Yeah. They gain differing amounts so of weight. Exact same amount of food. Exactly. Right. Exactly same amount of food, exactly the same amount of activity, but they right. get so clearly they're gonna be genetic influences. The problem is, is imperfect though it is, it's far easier to measure something which you're eating because it's it's physical. It's there, you yeah. can weigh it, you can actually see it, than it is to measure energy expenditure right. or physical activity. Physical activity is probably getting measurable, easier, right? Yeah. But metabolic rate is notoriously difficult right. to measure, at least on a large scale. And I think the moment we are able to do that in hundreds of thousands of people, once again with precision, uh, 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 we will find genes for it. Right. So you need to, you know, in a perfect scenario, you, you need to have people, you need to know exactly what they ate. Maybe you even want to measure how much they're, you know, what are they getting rid of uh, through, so, it, it, how you know, do you? I can't imagine it's beyond the wit of man. You know, so right. Google, for example, have been, I don't know if they're still, you know, investing in it. But design at some point a contact lens contact that was lens, that was yeah. able to that was able to sense glucose. Okay, and I don't know how good it is, but surely is not beyond the wit of whoever, say anyone yeah. else, to invent a little pill right. which sits in your stomach and monitors and monitors. Okay, it doesn't know if you if you've had how you've cooked your chicken, but right. it knows your macronutrient content and right. fiber content and just sends it by Bluetooth to your phone. I, I can't imagine that that is beyond right. the wit of man to design something like that. The moment we get that, in other words, we know then, okay, well, what is actually right. coming in? Then we know exactly that you've had 22.2% protein today, uh, objectively, then right. I, and the number of calories, I think then we're going to get far better, far more predictable genetic information. So this is maybe a good segue into the question of, mm. of diets, mm. because if we, if we recognize that probably everybody does respond to different kinds of foods, but maybe we don't know it yet. How, how, how does someone determine, for example, is a, is a low carb diet, is a high fat diet, the right one for me? Or, you know, maybe we should just take a step back and mm. say what, 
I've heard you say before that a lot of these fad diets have a a kernel of truth That's in them, right. right? So they there's something. Obviously, you don't want to have a huge amount of sugary drinks and carbs, but it doesn't necessarily mean we adopt a paleo diet where our uh, you know we we hunt um, live game like our our pro you know our, our ancestors yeah. in in air like quotes did. Yeah. right like Flintstones yeah. So what are <laughs> yeah, what are your thoughts on that? So I think, uh, um, well, just very quickly with the paleo diet, and then I'll go to the more yeah. general. The paleo diet is fantasy because it assumes a singular uh, right. uh, diet, and there was no singular paleo diet because there was no singular paleo person. Right, I people mean, all over the world. That's right. right. I mean, you could have been Inuit, uh, Eskimo, and eaten largely seal and whale blubber. That's probably right. true. Okay. Have you ever had that before? Is it... Uh I have Is not had seal. I have, I've had, I have had whale before. Right. And once again, <laughs> I was in Norway. I wasn't hunting it, but I felt that I was there. It's just very rich steak, and yeah. that's what, which I can't imagine that that's what seal is like. Yeah. Or if you were living on the Serengeti, you may have very well have been largely vegetarian. Right. right. But, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But, but, but anyway, no, there are a lot of... Um, so at the end of the day, what is a diet, right? A diet is, um, a, diet is a strategy to... If you're trying to lose weight, a diet right. is a strategy to eat slightly less or move slightly more right. so that you lose the weight. And I think as long as you achieve that, and what most all the diets that do work do achieve that, then you'll lose weight and then it works. It doesn't right. work when you come off the diet. Um, and so actually, many of these fad diets actually do work, just never for the reasons that are stated on the diet. Right, right. Yeah. And sometimes it takes trial and error, right? For some people... It's a particular diet that works for them for unknown I think reasons, at the moment, right? let's put it this way. I, I, I do think that at some point in the future um, that we will, we will do it, and probably not that far away, that we will be able to have some kind of prediction based on genetics. I, I do think so. I'm right. a geneticist. I, I, yeah, you, you, I, you would know. <laughs> I, I have to think so. But I think at the moment, I think the easiest way, the simplest way, the freest way you know, yeah. to do it is actually to trial and error. But before you do that, to actually be honest with yourself, and I think you have to be if you want to lose weight, about what your weaknesses are. In right. Inverted coffee. So in other words, in the coffee table scenario, and the meeting table scenario, or whether or not you like sugary food or fat food, do you respond to stress by eating or not? Right. Um, if you know you, what, what you do to, to, to food, you can write this down. and says, okay, normally I respond to stress by eating. I like sweet food, blah, blah, blah. Um, then at least you can begin to structure something which suits your own personal right. personal behavior. And I think that is the way to actually select a diet that at least you can sustain because you have to sustain it to keep the weight off. Right. So you start by just being honest and knowing yourself yes. and, uh, and then work from there. Yes. So do, uh, maybe, maybe you've already said the answer to this, but what, what role does genetic testing play in that? today and, and where do you think it's likely to go in the future? So does doing a, a, one of the at-home direct-to-consumer tests, are you likely to learn anything about what your diet should be, fitness regimes, or is it, is it still a little I, early? I think fitness regimes almost certainly no. Uh, certainly the ones I've tried. So I've tr I'm not going to name any. Yeah, either. please don't. So, 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 so I tried a, a genetic test. I was paid by a newspaper. I wasn't paid by the newspaper. The newspaper paid for me to take the to test. To take the test, to, right. To, to review it. And the problem, let me tell you what the problem was. The problem was they tested a total of just under 70, 70 SNPs. That's it, 70 right. SNPs. And from there, they purported to be able to predict 
my physical activity and my diet. Right. And it was just impossible just based on 70 genes. I just, I just think it is because right. they just don't have enough, enough information. That being said, okay, what I found out from the test um, was that I was lactose intolerant. Now, you right. might look at me, I'm Chinese and no hair, but that's, that's, that's neither here <laughs> nor right. folks. So, so, so for those of you who, and I'm like, and you might think, well, surely you knew you were lactose intolerant. Well, I actually I didn't. Right. And I think, um, and, and I did my personal crossover control. I removed my cappuccinos, shall we say, <laughs> and, and shift better. the black <laughs> Americanos and I felt better. So I think, and I it reintroduced right. it and it didn't. So blah. But what is interesting is I think that people, a lot of us at the moment, direct-to-consumer tests mix up monogenic, so as a result, right. predictable. So lactose, um, ability to digest alcohol, ability to, to metabolize caffeine. Right. Okay? Those are famously single genes. And so therefore, and coding, and coding, yep. or at least demonstrably. So changing a protein. Yeah. yeah. And so are predictable. Right. And they mix that in. Okay, to people right. go, ooh, I, I, I am lactose intolerant. Yeah. And therefore, everything else must be true. But then they mix in complex right. traits. Right. You should do CrossFit. And it's you like, okay, CrossFit, maybe not. Yeah. But they've measured it using three genes. How right. do you tell you need CrossFit with three genes? Or the fact that you right. digest fat better with two genes? It's just, that's the problem. Uh, yeah. they're, they're mixing the polygenic complex traits with monogenic single uh, single gene traits. Right, that makes sense. So do, going forward, do you think, how, how do you see these tests evolving? We're gonna get better at interpreting these more complex behaviors, hopefully. I, I think so. And I, I just see these tests moving away from, from testing SNPs because, right. I mean, what, what do we know? We know that, say with BMI, for example, we know that even with the 200 or so SNPs that we have, what is it explaining? Five, maybe 10%, I don't think so. 5% of the variation yeah. in BMI. So where is this missing heritability in inverted commas? And I think there are uh, uh, papers beginning to, to emerge out there, which people would have thought about previously, is that there are gonna be private mutations, so, so rare right. mutations. Just in you or your family. Exactly, yeah. which are probably explaining a large chunk of the variation. And that is only gonna emerge through whole exome, or probably whole genome sequencing. Right. And so I think where we'll get, where we'll actually make real progress are two things. When, I mean, look, whole genome sequencing is actually getting down to an almost affordable to the person on the street, okay, a rich person on the street, uh, uh, cost. What? A thousand? In, yeah. in, in large enough, what? A thousand? Five hundred, six hundred. Exactly. Okay, a thousand bucks or five, six hundred, seven hundred pounds. Right. So, okay, it's not available to everybody, but it's not impossible. Couple that with a a better ability to measure the environment, then I think we're beginning to get to a situation where we can begin to say, okay, well, big data, and we can begin yeah. to really put together some good uh, uh, predictions of our of our behaviors. Right, interesting. So uh, do you think that the healthcare system is going to get involved in this anytime soon, predictive genetic testing. Oh my goodness, I mean, anytime soon. You, you, you see what is being uh, mentioned by, uh, not the Surgeon General, whoever the equivalent of the Surgeon General right, here, right. Here, here, here is. The uh, chief, uh, saying that, yeah, yeah, chief medical health. officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so already saying that, oh, they want to use, um, you know, sequencing, for, for, you know, in order to tell people um, their risk of, of, of certain diseases. Right. Overstating it at the moment because of all the reasons I, I, I told you about, but, do I think that at some point in the very near future we go to the GP 
and or sorry, we're born and our and our genomes sequenced. Probably, actually, probably, because if it yeah. gets to the stage where you know we can actually eth- okay, leaving aside ethics and philosophy, right. just 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 a whole other yeah. conversation. I think from a management of a population health scenario, once you get to the position where, say, you're able to predict, we're never going to be able to predict everything, but say you can predict a, a significant percentage of diseases or complex traits through sequencing the genome, do you really not think that we're going to end up doing it? I think we're going to end right. up doing it pretty soon, sooner rather than later. How do we avoid allowing insurance companies or, um, or other companies other, any other any other type of thing bad actor, which, yeah. which actually comes in to take advantage of that information to our detriment that is something that we as a society need to discuss and I need to think about right do you, do you have any thoughts on that we don't have to get into the ethics and data privacy discussion but is it something you know, should is everybody going to have a hard drive at home, or is it more of a matter of a system that allows you to share it flexibly, or what do you see? You know, I think we're actually already having the pre-discussion of this in right. very many ways, um, in how we use social media. So, so look, right. what, what are in fact, you might even argue that we're giving more information through our use of social media. Quite possibly. Yeah. Quite possibly. Because of the interpretation. Because we're showing our be- actual behavior right. rather than just our genes. Yeah. That's the merging of the two. That, that's the issue. But I think as we're discussing the social media elements of it, about what, how um, these major um, online companies are dealing with our data, I think this is a good rehearsal for how we'll actually deal with the genetic data. It's not going to be a hard drive at home. So it's going right. to be in the cloud somewhere. Okay? Right. <laughs> but how do we then protect that information the same way as how we're protecting um, our heart rate information right. from our, from our you know, wearables or, or our behavior of where we actually eat dinner or what we bought at the supermarket. Okay? Right. All of this information is there in the cloud as well. So I think this is a good dry rehearsal for how we actually deal with that data. Right. I mean, I think... The, the real explosion is when people map your DNA to your behaviors. And that is where we'll begin to right. get predictivity. And we'll need to have sorted out, hopefully, one element of it so that when the genetics appears there, we are then better suited to begin to right. handle um, how we handle personal information online with, with everything that is going to be there. So how much of this do you cover in the book? You, I, I know you do quite a bit of the genetics background. And do you, do you have some thoughts on in the book on how genetics and environment can be measured together and what the future looks like. What so, I, so, so I think I went slightly more into more detail about the future element yeah. of it than, than I do in the book. But maybe I that's do, a new book. But uh, maybe it's a, new, <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll put my agents in touch with you. But, but, it's, um, but I do discuss the limitations of genetic tests, uh, of the direct-to-consumer genetic right, tests right. as they are today. And I, and I do describe about the fact that, look, 70, what is measuring 70 SNPs going to actually mean? Almost next to nothing. Right. And we need to be able to do... So I do talk about uh, sequencing whole yeah. genomes and measuring the environment better. And I think that's what we do need to think about doing. If I, I do think we need to... Whether or not you're a company, the NHS, or a scientist within the, within the field, I think that is what we should all be thinking, right. uh, think, think, thinking about. Yeah, so if, uh, if I make you health secretary mm. for a day, maybe not a day, let's give you a, a couple months. What If we're just... Just on the obesity, call it obesity epidemic, whatever you'd like to call it. What what are the what are the things we could do today 
And what are the things we could do maybe on a five or ten year from, from, from obesity no, point of view? Yeah, no, no pressure, just to so, so <laughs> solve what, it for us. So what, what is interesting is um, there is a genetics aside, and I'll get to the genetics in, 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 in this, because obviously our, our genetic influence, the genetic influences of something like obesity is not just genes, it's going to be interaction, interaction with the environment. Right. Um, but part of the environment is not just what we eat and what we think, or the weather, and in terms of what we're thinking, but about privilege. And my privilege right. is one of the environments. And there is this really uncomfortable, very uncomfortable association with the fact that in, in the West, um, um, United States, UK, Western Europe, that uh, the lower you are in the socioeconomic class, the, likely you, the more likely you are to be obese. Okay? Right. And which is unlike being uh, out in the sticks in China or in India, for example, where you don't have enough food, so you're really skinny. Right. Okay? So, so there's a very uncomfortable um, um, in, interaction there. And it's probably going to be down to privilege. And privilege comes in three different flavors. Cash, yeah. okay. time, which means that you may have enough cash, but if you have three shifts, how are you going to do right. that? And food literacy. So literacy. So not necessarily reading ABC, right. but understanding what an antioxidant is within a food, for example. What is something that's high in fiber? And I just think that if you fix privilege, you fix uh, quite a bit of a, a lot of, of these a, things a, all at once, yeah. right? So I've got, yeah. I've got a colleague of mine who, who, who studies, um, uh, Claire Llewellyn is her name, and she's the head of Gemini, the Gemini study down in London, twin studies. Yeah. And what she's shown is that if you actually take identical twins and look at the heritability of body weight, it's 70%, like the number that we all, yep. that we all learned. What is interesting is that she measures food security in the house, so the, 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 the right. quality of the environment right. within the house. The worse the food security is in the house, the higher the genetic impact. Okay? Oh, interesting. Whereas the better, so the more privileged you are. Like, by yep. definition, the both of us will be privileged. We're here having a chat on a, on a podcast. Right. The lower the genetic impact. Right. So by fixing the environment, we can reduce your, we can mitigate against some of the genetic risk. Yeah. So that's the first thing I would do. But how are we going to fix privilege? That's interesting. Yeah, that's a tough one. But, but the second thing is, and I am, and, and uh, look, I, I am not a big nanny state guy. I'm not. Uh, and, and, and the reason is because legislation, which I would mean taxation or compelling companies to right. do things, tend to always disproportionately affect the poor, the underprivileged, right. which exacerbates the problem. And makes lawyers rich. Sorry right. to, 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 to lawyers <laughs> out there. Whereas, um, to, so, so if we can convince companies to actually make food healthier, right. we will And live, show them that it's in their best interest, I suppose. We right. live longer we'll to spend more, more money with them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we spend more money. But there are going to be certain circumstances which I, which I think we can fit, uh, we, we can fix now. So for example, when we go to WH Smith or whatever place you go yeah. to, to buy a pencil, why do we have to walk through an aisle of, of, of candy? Right. If you want to buy candy, go to the candy aisle. You're choosing to buy candy. I got no yeah. issues with that. But if you're going to buy a pencil... And they make you walk through the candy yeah. aisle. Or you're going to put gas, or you're yeah. going to boots to buy your paracetamol. Why do you have to be, to be tempted by yeah. the candy? Choose to buy your candy. Choose to buy a pencil. You don't, I don't think that should be mixed. Yeah, so that I, I think should be I, I hate the way they do that at the airport. If the, the people at London Heathrow are listening, don't make us walk through the, uh, the alcohol and uh, sweets. At 5 a.m. Yeah, in, in the morning, I don't need a shot of single malt whiskey. Not at yeah. 5 a.m. Leave me alone. Yeah, well, okay. No, I think that's uh, a, a, it's a big ask, isn't it? It to, is a big ask. To fix it, it but we've got to start... Somewhere, don't we? Start somewhere. We're certainly going to start discussion somewhere. Yeah, no, that's great. Some of these things are really, some of them are very counterintuitive, aren't they? The way, 
I think there's this people I, I know I did for a long time have this perspective that differences in body weight are due to differences in metabolism and and there's something but actually a lot of it is more subtle than that it's the way our brain interacts with the environment yeah. and and there's just so much to learn as well we we clearly don't understand the whole the whole picture and we, we, need, we need more detailed information on an individual level and we also just need more uh, genomics is still in its we infancy genomics right? and the, the interpretation of it uh, uh, you know now we get a whole we get a whole genome sequence we try we, we do the assembly that's fine this is all automated now it goes yeah. through the system then you make your calls and then suddenly you realize that hang on a second all of us carry so many different mutations or you know changes that we never knew before and, right. and in fact some of I look back with slight embarrassment to some of the earlier papers in which we had done cat we just screen one gene and you found, we found the gene oh, look at yeah. this <laughs> tracks with obesity does it I mean it yeah. did it within that family but how do we know what about the other 2.9999 billion uh, uh, base places pairs? to look yeah. I know I know and so I think um, all of us need to to be more sophisticated with how we think about genetics I think. right fascinating stuff well I think we'll wrap up there if uh if you're interested in this and you found it interesting, then I would encourage you to follow Giles on Twitter. At Giles Yo. At Giles Yo. You're also on Instagram, aren't you? you At post Giles Yo as well. Lots of pictures of food. Is <laughs> that food. right? And that's uh, what I do. I don't judge. I'm not a judge. I'm not a judge. <laughs> that's person. great. So if you like food and you like learning about uh, genetics and obesity, um, and also check out the book. It's called Gene Eating. Can they buy it? They can buy on it on Amazon. Any, Amazon anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. And uh, I think that's it for now. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Speak to you soon.